Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Hot Takes from the Berg Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. How are you doing tonight, Ian? I'm doing really, really good. I was at my grandma's birthday party, and I received a notification that shook the whole NBA world as we know it. And uh, it's a a big power change, uh, a lot of moving pieces, a huge deal of the likes that I you know, really can't remember in, you know, at least the last few years. So James Harden is officially on the move and, you know, we're here to break it down. It was a huge, huge trade and Shams dropped all the details on Twitter uh, a few hours ago. The Rockets receive Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Ronis Krukas, three Brooklyn first rounders for 22, 24, 26, a Milwaukee first rounder in 2022 unprotected and four Brooklyn first round swaps in 21, 23, 25, and 27. The Nets receive, of course, James Harden. The Pacers receive Karis LeVert in the second rounder, I believe from either the Cavs or the Rockets. It was the Rockets. The the deal for Karis LeVert happened after Houston had received Ah, Karis LeVert. And then the Cavs receive Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince. Now, I, th- I think the two immediate winners out of this trade are the Rockets and the Pacers. And and just off the eye glance, I don't know how I feel about Harden on the Nets. And then the Cavs got two guys in positions that they're already truly filled at. Yeah, I think that – so this is my take on it. I, I really don't like – even since the very beginning when, you know, the Harden named the Nets as his, you know, preferential destination. I, I want to say that they were the lone team in the very beginning that he listed as, you know, his preference. And at first I, you know, I called it crazy that he could even, you know, go it, go on to state that he had a preference because anytime a team is moving on from a player of their caliber, it should be of the utmost importance that they get as much back as they possibly can. So when, you know, a player tries to dictate that, it can obviously get in the way of that. And I think there was a lot of other options that could have, you know, done better for them in that time. But now I think it's safe to say that the Nets paid a hefty, hefty price to get James Harden. And I mean, his talent does dictate a price of that level. But now we're worried about a whole lot of other question marks with the with the Nets at this point. I mean, you're going to be trying to mesh three ball dominant players. And I don't think we've ever seen a trio of players in league history as ball dominant as we're about to see on this Nets team. I think the closest thing we had to that was that 2018 quote unquote, OKC super team with um, Paul George, uh, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. But even then Melo was, was well out of his prime. Yeah. In the twilight of his career. And, you know, uh, he was, you know, at first started to work into the, the starting lineup and very shortly after was relegated to a bench role. And I mean, it's safe to say none of these players are going to accept a bench role, not Kevin Durant, not James Harden, and definitely probably not Kyrie Irving whenever he may get back to the court. So it, it is mind blowing to me, but I, I want to touch on what you said, because I'm in full agreement. I do think that the the two primary winners of this are the Houston Rockets 
and the Indiana Pacers. For one, I talked just last episode about the Pacers having to or not really liking the Pacers as much when they go ahead and add in T.J. Warren. Now I think that there's a perfect slot for T.J. Warren. I like him a lot better with that with the absence of Victor Oladipo. And Victor Oladipo is a really good player. We're seeing this season that, you know, he is removed from his injuries. But with Oladipo on the move to the Rockets, it's no longer the Pacers' problem. And the Pacers now get Karis LeVert, who in every single start that he's had for the Nets has been absolutely outstanding. And even when he's not starting – He's playing very valuable and very productive minutes off the bench for them. So it's a total shift for the Nets. I mean, we were, I applauded them very early in the season for their depth and, you know, how deep they could go. And really the fact that I think that, you know, they didn't really lose anything, even when their star players were off the court with, you know, how talented their bench could be with, you know, Jarrett Allen, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert. And now all three of those guys are gone. So the the Pacers are a big big winner. I I really really am intrigued at the idea of Karis Levert, Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. Warren, Sabonis, and Miles Turner in Indiana. I think that is going to be a as well rounded and as good of a, a starting five that you could possibly get. Even though all of those players are probably unheralded in in some regard, and you know for the Rockets to give up a player the caliber of James Harden they still have a pretty good roster. I mean, John Wall, they add Victor Oladipo with the, you know, secondary trade that was made with the Pacers. They also got um, a host of picks, which I'm not even going to begin to name off because you hit that on the head at the very beginning. But, and they still have Christian Wood, who I think has been playing out of his mind at this point in the season. It'll be a little more difficult for, you know, the guys to feed off of James Harden, but everybody will be able to play more of their own isolation basketball in Houston. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the uh, – get on to the Pacers for just a second again. Um, I, I really do like this trade. I, I think this is the biggest win out of this trade. Um, while I did like Victor Oladipo in Indiana, um, he finally had his breakout season in, I believe, 2018. And it, it really worked out. Um, but with Sabonis breaking out, uh, Miles Turner getting better, and – I just, I just feel like Karis Levert is a much better fit for this team, especially alongside Malcolm Brogdon. I feel like they can be a, a good defensive backcourt. And like you said, TJ Warren really does have a spot on this team again. Um, Karis Levert, yes, he can, be a, he can be a good ball handler, but he's not as ball dominant as a guy like Victor Oladipo. Yeah, and I mean, also a team that I think people would be kind of surprised to find out is – a lot younger overall than I think a lot of people expect. Um, I don't know all of their ages off the top, but let me see if I can go ahead and get that up here. Because I believe no one on that starting lineup is going to be over 27. Crazy. Absolutely crazy, especially when you're talking about, you know, the players that they have on their team. Let's take a look here. Malcolm Brogdon, 28 years old, so he is over 27. But, I mean, he is, I'd say, the – you know, most established guy by far. He came out after four years at the University of Virginia. DeMontis Sabonis is 24 years old somehow. I mean, Karis LeVert, I believe, is also 24. Um, they got younger. They got better. I like the fits better. Uh, it will take a little bit of time for them, you know, as always when there's moving pieces in the deal to, you know, get the cohesive product on the court. But I, I think the Pacers for a team that, you know, really had no reason to be involved with this trade. And, you know, 
with how well they've been playing this season to, to make a move with the kind of foresight like that. I absolutely love it as well. Yeah. Um, another team that, that had a huge win with the Rockets and the, the Russell Westbrook trade last season, they gave up so many picks, but now they, they have eight first rounders to their name. And that's a huge, huge haul for how much they gave up for Russell Westbrook. And in reality, like, yeah, Brooklyn's going to be a good team, but you have trade assets again. Like, they had very, very few first-round picks to their name, and now they have something to work with if they want to try and move stuff around this offseason. Yeah, you you bring up trade pieces. I'd say for a team in the Rockets position – Outside of maybe draft day trades, I, I don't think that they'll be looking to pull the gun on, you know, bringing in another star. Oh. Uh, I think that they're ready to kind of get back to some sort of normalcy with the team. I, I think that there was a lot of dysfunction all the way through this organization. I, I can't imagine what, you know, a player the caliber of James Harden and the antics that we saw him, you know, pull off with this Houston Rockets team over the last, what, two months at this point almost? I can't imagine what kind of an effect that had on this organization top to bottom. It, it you know, all signs point to it being an extremely toxic situation. Uh, something that I can't imagine, like I said, anybody would want to be a part of, but to get back what they got and to also, like you said, that the Russell Westbrook trade had to have still been on their minds to, you know, ask and seek this amount of assets. Um, you could kind of, if you were, you know, watching the, the news as it trickled in throughout the day and even dating back to last night, you could kind of see the writing on the wall. The James Harden deal was probably, you know, inbound at some point. Um, I remember the first trickling of the news I heard last night, James Harden post game, it just said, I'm not sure anything can fix this. Um, then this morning it was that talks had heated up yet again with the 76ers they were seeking Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons. Uh, we, I'm sure we're going to jump back into that in just a minute. But then obviously the news broke with the with the trade to the Nets. And I think it goes deeper a little bit than just the assets that they acquired. Like I said, the, that toxicity is not healthy for a team. James Harden's play on the court was still James Harden-ish this season, but you could see it. The Rockets would come down, there would be a turnover, and he would essentially just turn around and walk down the court on defense as every other player sprints by him. He was disinterested, not engaged in really any sort of spurt of gameplay that I saw from him this entire season. And from a professional player, I just think I lost a lot of respect for James Harden. I, I hate to say it. I think he was very childish. Through this whole process, I understand not being happy in your current situation, but there are ways of handling it that, you know, can avoid all of this. I just think back to when Paul George asked to be traded from the Thunder. The trade just happened. We found out that Paul George had asked for a trade after the fact of the trade. It was a very professional way that it was handled, um, you know, with respect for him and the organization in mind the entire time and James Harden sabotaged that the entire process and any chance that he could get starting fights at practice and it's just not a good look for Harden but he's going to be looking to probably get back in shape and get ready for a title run in Brooklyn 
Yeah, I do want to talk about the Rockets starting lineup real quick. It's not a not a terrible lineup. Um, I don't think they can. I don't think they can truly make the playoffs if they do. No more than a six seed. But at the one, you got John Wall, then Victor Oladipo, Daniel House, and PJ Tucker, and then Christian Wood at the five. And then off the bench, you have Boogie, Eric Gordon, and Ben McLemore. Like that's not a terrible terrible team. No, it's not. I, I, I'm not ready to really count them out of the playoffs just yet. Um, I still think that, you know, things are kind of shaking out in, you know, the league. I, obviously, I've been saying all season you need to get out to a, a pretty good start at this point in the season. But when you just think about the players that you just listed off, there's a good chance that, you know, fit-wise, this might be I, – I, I don't want to say a better fit without James Harden because James Harden was, you know – everything for them he, he made everything go with this Rockets team and that's how that team was constructed but now they have a chance to actually just be a regular basketball team again you know a, a five-man cohesive unit that all plays together and that was something that we haven't seen in the last four or five years with James Harden and in, in Houston so uh, Houston gets a chance at some normalcy I'm sure Steven Silas is thankful for that I'm sure that he's thankful to have you know probably a group of guys that can actually buy in and be coached and I I'm not ready like I said to count them out of the playoffs I think you know this team has the talent they just at this point it's how fast can you mesh now um I want to talk about the Cavs real quick I don't think the Cavs are especially a loser out of this I think there's just one player that's a loser out of this and that's Jared Allen um, going to a team that's already has Andre Drummond and JaVale McGee at the center position, uh, you don't really know how you're going to be able to work him into that lineup. Absolutely. I think the Cavs kind of got into this trade for no real reason at all. Um, obviously, you know, they did receive some assets in a return in Jared Allen and Torian Prince, but exactly like you said, I think Jared Allen is a horrible fit in Cleveland. I think that there, uh, Jared Allen is a great young center with a lot of potential, and he would start for about 25 teams in the entire league, and the Cavaliers just aren't one of them. DeAndre Drummond is a very good big man in his own right and is an established player for the Cavaliers. I mean, he's only been here for, I don't even think, an entire year yet game-wise, but is still making his presence felt, especially in the beginning of this young season. So to add him it basically negates the entire signing of JaVale McGee. Uh, he figures now to come off the bench for you. And he's an un or I believe he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season, but for this Cleveland team, breaking the bank to bring back Jared Allen is the least of your worries when you're already shelling out. God knows how much money did Andre Drummond. So I, it just makes no sense to me. I, I can't really wrap my head around it. I, I think that they kind of got their nose into something they really didn't need to. I mean, they only ended up giving up Dante Exum and a first-round pick. But it, it just – I don't think that they got better. I think Jared Allen is a great, great player. But he's not going to get the amount of run to really show you how good that he can be. He – also didn't get the chance to re-sign with the Nets, which would have made him much more valuable if you had him under contract for certainly more than a year. So, and Torian Prince figures to probably, I, I really like Torian Prince. I liked him better in the role that he was with the Nets, but now he figures to kind of get in the way and maybe potentially stunt the development of Isaac Okoro. So. Yeah. 
Um, and now on to the big team of this trade. Um, we have the, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, their starting lineup would most likely look like Kyrie, James Harden. They're talking about having Jeff Green in the starting lineup, then Kevin Durant, and then DeAndre Jordan. Um, I still don't know how to feel about it. I'd rather have Joe Harrison there uh, than Jeff Green. But I mean, if that's what the, the if that's what Steve Nash wants to do, that's what Steve Nash wants to do. Yeah, I think I would have said Joe Harris at the three as well. Um, I'm my guess here is that you know with the shooters, the caliber of Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, you maybe don't need to pencil in any more shooting in that starting lineup. I, but I'm kind of under the belief that you know the more shooting, the better. But I, I think the big thing for this to me is going to be them figuring out. I mean, on paper, no team can, you know, have three better players than what this Nets team has assembled with this trade. But after that, there's a lot of question marks and all of those question marks weren't there before this trade. They gave up a lot of their depth, a lot of their future assets. And this trade is going to or the Nets are going to have to hope that this trade is what they hope it is. Because if not, this Nets team could be in a similar situation in a few years to what the Nets were in just a few years before. And, you know, a team bereft of talent without any assets, no draft picks, none of that, all to sell out for, you know, a couple championships. And obviously I think this big three is a lot better than the first three that they had assembled, but they gave up a similar amount of assets to acquire it. So this thing better hit on all on all cylinders or the Nets are going to pay for it in a big, big way. And the thing with trading away a guy like Harris Levert, you traded away a, a main piece of someone that could be that ball handle off the bench. Right now, they don't really have that. I mean, you have Landry Shamit, and he's a fine ball handler, but he's not really a guy that can lead the offense. I mean, what, you're going you're gonna to have TLC run your offense or Bruce Brown. I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of this Nets bench anymore. I really think it's, it's the main three. And then DeAndre Jordan. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that there has to be something in the works for the Nets to be able to bring in uh, potentially maybe a free agent big man. I've heard. Uh, a, a little bit of rumbles about jo- Joakim Noah potentially coming back to the league. He showed last year with Memphis that he might have a little bit more in the tank. And I think that that would probably be the best of the lot that you could probably hope to get at this point in the season. But they do also have Nick Claxton, you know, a sophomore at this point um, has really never gotten that much shine in all of his time in the league. And uh, potentially they're hoping that, he can step up and fill a similar role that Jarrett Allen, but with all the players that they've even traded today and are playing a game right now versus the Knicks, Nick Claxton has yet to even come in the game. So I, I don't he's think he's currently that... injured right now. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, I, you're absolutely right about that. So Last right now their only big man is DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't – I'm not a big fan of that. I, I think 
they do have some players on the bench that can still produce for them and are, you know, you can tell are obviously penciled in to fulfill roles that of the guys like Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, um, and a couple other guys that are, are no longer with the team. I, I still do like Bruce Brown a lot. He was one of my most underrated free agent signings, as I said in our, you know, preseason outlook, but Jeff Green is a very, very good and very hardworking player that will definitely fill a role for this team. TLC has yet to really replicate anything that we saw from him in the NBA bubble with this Nets team. So I don't really know how much they're counting on him for. I'm sure that, you know, maybe he'll get more opportunity and maybe he can kind of, you know, blossom and produce a little bit of the way that we saw from him in the bubble. And they do still also have Landry Shamit, who I am a big, big fan of. I like, you know, how unselfish and, you know, how well he fills his role. But after that, yeah, there's there's not a lot that they that they have to work with. I, I'm guessing maybe their hope is that Spencer Dinwiddie comes back, uh, you know, ready to go and can then at that point step into the the role that Karis LeVert was in charge of. But I don't know, just for a team that is, you know, now after this, Vegas updated as having the second highest odds of winning the NBA championship. I just think that they have so many question marks top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, if I was the Nets, I would have tried to get JaVale McGee out of that off that Cavs team. If you're giving up a guy like Jared Allen. Um, Cause I, I think Jared Allen for a JaVale McGee trade that that's not a terrible trade off. If you have to give up a guy like Jared Allen. Absolutely not. And it, yeah, it absolutely would soften the blow. I mean, there's a huge hole at the center position right now for this team. I mean, worse, anything to happen to DeAndre Jordan. And I don't think it's, I don't think we can count anything out from happening to him. I mean, if you've watched the Nets play at all this season, I think one of the most drawing things to me has been just how far DeAndre Jordan has come from the player that he once was. So uh, I just, uh, there's a huge hole for them at that position. And that is a very important position. Yeah, I I do still think the Nets make the playoffs. Um, I think they could be a three or four seed at this point. I don't see them winning the East, especially over Milwaukee. Um, I think Boston can still beat them in a seven-game series. That's not even me being biased. I just think Boston has a, a much better depth to them. I mean, they have they have a good bench. Once Kemba comes back, you're going to have guys like Marcus Smart and uh, a good rookie and Richard and uh, Pritchard coming off the bench. I mean, one-on-one Tatum versus Durant. Yeah, Durant's better, but it's difficult to say. If all things pan out uh, with this Nets team, I think you're talking about a potential, you know, nightmare matchup. I don't think that there is a team in the entire league with the, with the perimeter defense to, you know, keep up with all of these star players. It's just uh, n- none of these, it was hard enough on head coach Steve Nash to get two stars, you know, the caliber of KD and Kyrie Irving who, you know, do what they do with the ball in their hands to buy in and, and play the way that they have. And I, that's why I'd been so impressed with them is that I had saw, I was more worried about Kyrie as I think everyone was and how much he could buy into the system. And now I, I don't know what you do anymore. I mean, James Harden is listed as a shooting guard, but everyone in there, you know, anyone who watches basketball knows that the role that he fulfills is that of a point guard 
Kyrie Irving is nowhere near, you know, being able to play a shooting guard. So it's just a lot of weird fits with this team. A lot of people who need the ball in their hand. Uh, the only thing I know for sure is that this is probably the most insane NBA 2K team I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, I like to refer back to uh, 2017 and 2018 when Chris Paul was on that Rockets team. But the thing is, Chris Paul is is definitely willing to defer the ball to a guy like James Harden. I don't know if Kyrie's really willing to defer the ball to two other stars. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole thing. I mean, and you hit it on the head. Chris Paul, I think, you know, first thing that you think about when you think of Chris Paul, at least for me, is I think of a floor general. Someone, you know, used to and, you know, seeking out, you know, the right play every single time. Kyrie Irving is a scorer first and foremost, you know, so I, I, and that's why I've been impressed with him this year. I'd seen him seek out the open man more so than I had in his entire career. And after this, for a guy with the mentality that him and James Harden have, I, I could see this very easily getting to the point, well, you know, James just got the last four shots. It's my time to go off. And when it works, it's going to be insane. But when it doesn't and when, you know, they start to maybe get at it after each other, you know, what's going to happen then? Uh, I yeah. can't tell you. It's it's a lot of question marks for this Nets team. How is it going to mesh together? Uh, who's going to be the main handler? Is it going to be Kyrie? Is it going to be James Harden? Is it, I don't think KD ever is meant to be a uh, a main ball handler. But everyone knows he can handle the ball really well. He's going to demand the ball. It's it's gonna. I think it's gonna be like the OKC situation back twenty seventeen. Uh, it's three players. There's only one ball. Yeah, I mean, and they can't all shoot on the same position. Um, it's just not possible. I'm I'm just sitting here reading through some of the the comments from um, Steve Nash, and it's just. A little bit weird, he said. Uh, I think basketball is about playing together and being the best you can be. So no matter who you are, it's about finding connectivity and balance within the team and trying to be greater than the sum of your parts. And I don't, I, I struggle really to find out anything about this trade that has anything to do with that. I, I think they gave up a lot of their, a lot of their pertinent pieces to being, you know, connected and and having a balance within their team. I thought that there was, you know, a, a lot of really good talent top to bottom on this team. And obviously, you know, you add another huge player at the top, but you gave up a lot of your depth and a lot of important pieces to do it. So I, I think that there's only so much that we can say about it, but it's going to come down to seeing it on the court and, and how it all pans out. And for Steve Nash, a first year head coach, I'm, I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he's done a really, really awesome job with this team so far. But I'm not sure if he's the guy to be able to, you know, handle all these personalities, all these alpha dogs in, in one locker room. And I don't know who could, and I don't can't think of a coach that was ever asked to do it with three players of, of this caliber. So it's a lot of things that are first in probably NBA history, and it's going to be really weird getting used to James Harden and in a Nets jersey for sure I mean besides that Golden State Warriors team I think this is the first team that has 
three potential top 15 players on, on that one team, even potential top 10 players, if you want to consider Kyrie a top 10 player. Um, but it, it's it's going to be a lot of budding heads, I feel, for the first few weeks. Um, it's going to be a lot of getting used to for Harden have to play with Kyrie and KD. I mean, yes, Harden played with KD, but he was also a, a sixth man at that point in time, uh, not the, the blossomed out two-time MVP Harden. Yeah. I thought it was interesting what you said about the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I, I do agree with that a little bit, but also in that situation, you had a, a player in Clay Thompson yeah, who is, you know, the – the guy who doesn't need the ball. I mean, we've seen him score 60 points on 11 dribbles in a game before. Uh, I don't think I, – I can't remember the last time I saw James Harden or Kyrie Irving hit a bucket without 11 dribbles in a single possession. So it's going to be a lot of ball-dominant play from this Brooklyn Nets team. But I just – I'm going to have to see it on the court. And I think KD is the only one that you can pencil in as, you know, taking the most of an off-the-ball kind of a role – and I think that he can, you know, obviously will eat off of a lot of opportunities created from these other guys. But we're just going to have to see a little bit more of a willingness to, you know, get the ball out of their own hands from Kyrie Irving in particular. I'm not as worried about James Harden because I think we'll see a lot more of a motivated and, and ready to go James Harden in, in Brooklyn. But yeah, I, that's the thing for me. The thing that keeps I keep getting hung up on is I'm worried about – how Harden and Irving are going to play together. And it, that's that's going to be the key for them. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a, a hell of a lot of work for Steve Nash to try and get this locker room together. Um, but for other teams like Houston, they don't really have that weight on their shoulder anymore. And then Indiana just got a huge, huge piece uh, that can really help them with a, a title push. Absolutely. I, I would love to see an Indiana Pacers and Brooklyn Nets matchup at some point in the Eastern Conference. How how fitting would it be for the, you know, Karis LeVert to essentially probably be, you know, one of the afterthoughts in the James Harden trade and how fun would it be to, what I think is very possible for a guy of his talent level to torch this, you know, Brooklyn Nets team all series long. I think it's undervalued how, how potentially bad this team can be on defense in the Nets. Yeah. I, I think Jared Allen was a big, big part of that in the middle. DeAndre Jordan is not the same caliber of athlete that he was at one point in his career. I, I think that asking him to occupy that role is would probably be asking too much of him. And at no point in their career were Kyrie Irving or James Harden ever regarded as good defenders. James Harden took a big step last year, but when you're going to be asking him at this point to essentially chase around probably the best, you know, perimeter offensive option for other teams, that's a scary proposition for James Harden. Yeah, I was going to say, you want to talk about uh, worst backcourt, defensive backcourts in the league. You want to talk about Damon CJ. Let's talk about Kyrie and Harden now. Like that arguably might be one of the worst defensive backcourts, but arguably the best offensive backcourt if it works. Oh, absolutely. I, I think already I'm willing to stamp it. This is probably the best offensive backcourt bar any kind of, you know, chemistry issues. I just think the offensive firepower that this backcourt can boast is – 
second to none to any other team. And they still have the best scorer on their team, in my opinion, not even in the equation. So, like I said, offensively, this team is ready to go with essentially just three players in the fold. But everybody else is going to have to buy in and and step up their game. I mean, there's going to be a lot of new players getting a lot more minutes for this Nets team. And a lot of their success is going to ride on them. I never worry about star players on good teams. I don't think, you know, you can usually pencil those guys in to do exactly what they do night in and night out. But it's, it's you know, the other contributions that you get that really make a really good team. And I just am a lot more worried about those contributions after this trade. Yeah. All I know, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, next few days to see if there's any other trades. I mean, Bradley Beal is not happy in Washington. Um, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with that. Um, a quick note really quick. I'm interested to know how you feel. I personally would have liked Bradley Beal on this team a lot better, especially if they could have paid a similar price. And I'm not sure if Bradley Beal is worth all that they gave up to get James Harden, but I think he could have filled a complimentary role a lot better. And he's not this, you know, really, really strong defender or anything, but I just think that you could pencil Bradley Beal in as a better fit in Brooklyn. I think two less picks and not giving up Jared Allen. Yeah. Bradley Beal, I think would have fit better on this team. Um, he's, he's had the, the off ball role in the past when John Wall was, the, the superstar he was when he was healthy. Um, he can play off ball really well and let Kyrie and KD do their things, be that spot-up shooter that can handle the ball some. Um, but Harden hasn't been that since, what, like 2012? Yeah. So it, it's definitely be interesting. Um, but no matter what happens in the NBA, you know you'll always be able to find it here. Um, might be a few hours late, uh, might be a day late, but we're always going to be able to cover it. Absolutely. Um, But I've been your host, Jason Mitchner, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time.